I'm not actually going to continue the series today um, of Christian Lives Matter. I'm not going to do that. Stop that. Uh, yeah, I'm not going to. I'm not going to continue that. We're going to finish it next week. Um, I did actually speak to. I did actually Skype with Canon Andrew White, the vicar of um, Baghdad, this week, um, and he was just mind blowing. But the record quality, um, he didn't have the camera on, so it's just audio. So it was like I'm not going to put that up for you guys to listen to. And also, it didn't go how I expected. So it wasn't really an interview, it was actually like a really intimate conversation. And it just felt like crazy weird if I just stuck that on there. He was amazing. And so next week, I'll be sharing some of the thoughts and some of the stuff he shared on. Um, so today, uh, which I totally hadn't planned on doing, I totally planned on sharing the conversation I had with you, but just kind of repeating what I had with him and sharing it with you all. Um, but then I spoke at another church this morning and um, it just felt right uh, today, in the first moment, just like five seconds ago, <laughs> to not do what I had planned and do that instead. So um, I don't normally do that. Um, and Jodie even told me before coming here, she goes, you should just totally do the talk you did this morning. And I was like, yeah, but we have a series. And then I'm, and then I'm like, I'm no longer a slave to fear. And I'm like, oh, damn it, I'm gonna do the talk on this morning. I can't just stick with the series. Yeah, so, so I was just like, oh, hashtag guilt trip. And we also sang that song at the other church in the morning and it was banging them wow. as well. So, um, so what we're gonna be talking about tonight is tonight we're gonna to be talking about simply words, just words. We're gonna be talking about words. So when I was a kid, I remember my dad like tucking me in at night and he'd read me like stories from the Bible and he'd teach me about like this faith that we had as a family. And I remember the first, one of the first times I can consciously remember the creation story. And I remember when God, my dad said to me like that God created the world, I was totally down with it. I had no problems. I remember when my dad told me there was a snake in the garden that spoke. I still had no problems. The only thing as a child that when I heard that story that I was like, what the heck? Was that God spoke creation into being. That was my only problem with the whole story. Kid you not was that God spoke and these things were created. The reason for that was, I'd been talking for a little while at that stage, quite some time, like maybe a year or two, maybe a year, and um, no worlds had exploded into being after I'd said something. Uh, no new life forms, no deers with like three heads, which is what I probably would have spoken in existence, had, had come forth. None of that had happened. So I was just like, say what? When I remember my dad reading me the Genesis account from Genesis 1. But when the rabbis looked at it, they weren't um, a four-year-old. <laughs> they studied for some time and they made up their own opinion. And they, they took it as if like, oh yeah, of course. So for me as a kid, I was like, dang, that doesn't make sense. Like God spoke and these things were created. But the rabbis, they were like, oh, of course God spoke everything into being, of course. And their angle was this, of course, because the words we say create new realities around us all the time. And I remember hearing that, I was like, oh, that is so good. That is so good. The words we say each and every day 
create new realities all around us. So in the first chapter of Genesis, you have God speaking things into being. And then just two chapters later, you have this talking snake, a.k.a. the devil, formerly known as um, Lucifer, don't know, representing the wrong ends. Um, he is there and he is in the garden. And what he does is he takes the words that God's spoken and he puts a spin on it. And what happens is they believe what he says and they act on it and it ends up changing things and creating a whole new reality with which we all kind of live in. This new kind of paradigm shift of what the Bible calls that original sin and death and decay. And so in the beginning, we have this first chapter of God speaking life into existence and his own commentary on his own speech and what he does is it's good. And then two chapters later, we have a situation where someone twists words and uses words to create a different reality. One where death reigns, one where selfishness reigns, one where, where all these horrible things will flow out from it. And it all happened and all hinges on words. I remember being about, I think about 10 years of age when I made my footballing debut for my school. Not the first team, the second team. And I was playing in the second team and I was a substitute. And there was this moment in the game where the teacher decided it was safe for me to come on. We were winning 9-0. We were 9-0 and so my teacher went, Andy Gray, yep, 9-0, we can't possibly lose this. Let's put him on. And so I was up front as a super sub. There wasn't that long left in the game. And all I remember was, I think I've scored the greatest goal in my school's history. Um, for anyone, uh, for the untrained eye, it was world class. But to anyone with any knowledge of football, my abilities knew that the goal happened to me more than I happened to it. And all I remember was this defender who was so dead made a clearance and he basically blasted the ball directly at my chest. And so he hits my chest, but to everyone else it looks like Boom, I've cushioned the ball up into the air. I'm still running as it's hit my chest. So it's come down and it's landed on my thigh and gone up into the air. And then I've gone, this is going great. And I've just levered it as hard as I can. And all I remember was seeing this ball go astronomically up towards the heavens. And I turned around thinking, oh man, that's a goal kick, that's terrible. So I've automatically turned around. The next thing I see is this boy Rishad, I remember. He just fell on the floor laughing, slapping the ground. And I was like, yeah, 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 I know, it was terrible, it's diabolical, it's gone over, really funny. And then I saw the rest of the team, my teammates like that, and they, with their arms in the air. And I kind of turned back in horror to see that this shot that was going skywards wonking up has looped back down into the top corner. The keeper is laying back on his back, like, in pain as he's tried to jump and push it out. It's gone in, and everyone's celebrating, like, the goal of the decade at my school. But to everyone else who's watched, they've just seen a clearance, me chest, control, lever it, and then be so certain of myself, I've turned back to the centre circle, ready for kickoff. So I look like the absolute boss of all bosses, but none of that is actually what happened. It was more of a, ouch, oh, oh, let me get it, oh, bang. And, and it's just dipped in over like the world's worst keeper. And then... As a result, my, 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 uh, the manager, he feels there's a certain level of ability that I have that I do not possess. And so the next game, he brings me on as a sub again. This time it's 1-1. He wants me to turn the tide. And I, I did, I did. I, I knocked their goalkeeper unconscious. And a, a new keeper was brought on who was much easier to score against. And I, I got us the winner. 
And so after two back-to-back weeks, or two back-to-back games as, as the super sub, as I was starting to be called, uh, my teacher goes to me, Andy, we would love you to write... Yeah, though, I literally put studs in the side of a kid's head. Like, it's, like he was like, literally... Like, like, he wasn't moving, he had to be carried off. And I was like, oh. Yeah, I did not mean to do that, but it was funny. Um, he, I think he's alive, I don't know. Um, so, we, we won that. We won that. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. So, we, we won that game. And then my teacher comes up to me afterwards and he goes to me, Andy, that was so good. I want you to write the match report. And that was a huge honour and I was so excited for all of 10 seconds. So I was like, yes, I've written the match report because I'm the best player today. I've done so well. I've turned the tide the last two games. And then it sunk in. Oh no! I'm dyslexic. I've got to do the match report. He just deaded my life. And then there comes this moment where all night I'm writing this thing out again and again, and it's rubbish. It doesn't make sense, and I throw it away. And then it comes, and I've got it scribbled down on a piece of paper, and I'm standing ready to do assembly, shaking like a leaf. And my best mate, who's like a demigod of the English language, goes, have no fear, I shall save you. He's so confident in his ability, he snatches the match report and walks straight to the front. He hasn't read it. He doesn't realise the spelling mistakes everywhere, the words are the wrong way round. Some of what I've written only makes sense in my head. And he's standing at the front, he starts to read. The whole school is laughing. He's gone bright red, he's dying up there. I'm dying where I am. And my headmaster, like any good boxing match, calls an end to it. Charles, what is the meaning of this? And Charles goes, it's not my match report, it's Andy Gray's. And the headmaster goes, oh, totally gets what's happened. And afterwards he comes and puts his arm around me and kind of encourages me. And a teacher sees that, my science teacher. And she makes a beeline for me and says, you, come here, boy. And I came over and she stood over me for the next five minutes. She just went fully in and just deaded my whole existence. And all I remember was being about 10 years of age and she stood over me and I'll never forget these words. She said, you are a disgrace to the school and you should never do public speaking ever again for the rest of your life. And I remember standing there as a 10 year old and in my head all I heard with my own voice was, you are a disgrace to this school and you should never do public speaking ever again for the rest of your life. I didn't do any of the drama plays. I didn't answer questions in class. I stayed quiet. I didn't want to be at the front for anything. And it, was just, it, just, it just messed me up. And so when I look at what the rabbis say about the creative story of creation, of course God created the world, with, the world with words because our words create new realities every day. That teacher created a new reality for me about how I would see myself, about how I would gauge my levels, about what I could achieve, what I couldn't achieve. And it affected me for years. I remember being 19 years of age in like in a worship service in a slightly larger church than this, only by a few, <laughs> by about a thousand. <laughs> and um, it was a Sunday night, and I remember sitting there and I was like 19 years of age. I remember they were singing like this song. And I remember having this really emotional moment where I relived that moment again. I had this kind of like moment with God. And it was crazy because what was different was I wasn't me inside looking up at this towering teacher saying her word over my life. I saw it from like above and it was kind of like there were these angels and there was God and he was like calling like the angels around like they were his boys and he was going like, oh, check this kid out. And they were looking down and there was a teacher standing over me saying these words to me and me standing there completely just devastated by what she was saying and believing fully what she said. And he was saying, that's my boy and he's gonna speak for me to nations. I've now spoken in seven different countries, in three different continents, sometimes to conferences of like over a thousand people, 2,000 people, 
and to all different types of people. And you know what's been great? Is she spoke that word over my life. But I believe that the gospel and that Jesus has a better word. And I remember just like not, um, not too long ago preaching a message where a family came forward at the end and like the, the, the daughter had been, had, been, had been raped and she tried to kill herself. And I gave my testimony of what God did in my life. And this family's there, the dad's crying, the mum's crying, she's crying. And I remember praying for her and spending time with her. And I remember going back like a year later and getting to spend time with them and seeing this young girl blossoming. Totally different, still loads of pain, still loads of hurt, but a different person because our words create new realities all the time, all around us. And so we have that power within us. So in the creation story, you have life-giving words. In the fall, you have words of corruption and of death. And then the greatest commandment ever comes in in Deuteronomy um, 6, verse 4, which is in my book, Come Shoot Drama, by the way. Um, <laughs> Just saying. And um, what it says is this. It says, Shema is a Hebrew word meaning here. And it says, hear, O Israel. The Lord your God is one, and you are to love God with all that you are. And then it says you have a rhythm to your day. You start the day by looking at and hearing from God, how am I going to love God today? And exploring within what it looks like, living it out. At the end of the day, closing it by going, let's review how this went. And then the next day, starting that process again and again and again. So what happened was you had this spoken word giving life. A word was spoken that created death. And then God said, let's stop using words for a minute. Hear what I'm saying. Loving is the greatest. How are you going to explore love today? How are you going to also, in your own ability, with your own words and your own actions, bring about the reconciliation, the redemptive process within your community and those around you? How are you going to speak words of life rather than death? But if you don't take this morning moment, if you don't take this moment before you start anything, before you say anything, to hear what I'm saying to you, you're going to miss out on it. And so then you had the Shema. But then what we also had was we, we pull it back, straight back to that first, that first part in Genesis where God spoke into being. And I've said this before, but I'm going to still say it again, that in science we have this theory called, J, called string theory, which basically says at the smallest level, everything is just vibrating strings, that it's all vibrations. Everything at the smallest level is just noise and vibrations. The very fact that the Bible says in Genesis, which scientists have scoffed at and laughed at, actually aligns itself with that, that he spoke all things into being by his word, he sustains us. And that the Bible, the way it describes Jesus coming to be among us is in John where it says, in the beginning was the word, the word was God, the word was with God. And in verse 14, the word became flesh and blood. That Jesus, that God, the word himself became flesh and blood that lived among us, that we could be reunited, that he could bring the harmony, he could bring the, the true note back to it all. But then the final word comes in the book of Revelation where literally it says that I will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And the Greek word there, when you read it, read it in English, it's really romantic. I will wipe away every tear from their eyes. That's not how it's written. In the original Greek, it's more like Arnold Schwarzenegger translation. It's like, I will obliterate tears from their eyes. <laughs> like, there will be no more crying. There will be no more sickness, no more death. These things have passed away. And he says, behold, I will make all things new. I will sustain all things as new. That I will continually... And so, like, I look at my phone at the moment. I've got the iPhone 6S. I loved it and treasured it deeply. And then the iPhone 7 came out. And I look at it like, I don't know you anymore. Who are you? You disgust me. And, like, God in this passage in Revelation 21 is saying, like, I will sustain it. It's never going to fade. It's never going to lose its value. It's never going to do any of these things. But the beauty of it is that although God actions this plan and he does this and the gospel is so awesome and so powerful, 
he saves us through the gospel for what? For good works. Because what he wants, and the challenge for us as a church and at City Hill, is that this week, you and I get unleashed upon the world. That tomorrow morning, you will be out in full force, and you'll be vocal, and you'll be using your words like it's a machine gun, constantly the whole day. But actually, how you choose to use your words is going to determine what reality you're going to create for someone else. It's going to determine what reality you create for yourself. Every single word that you say creates a new reality. And, and it's true, and it's totally real. That teacher created a negative reality that took me years to break free from until God spoke a word into my life, and I knew what he was saying to me. What are the things that have been said to you that you're living in realities that are complete lies and aren't even true, but people have said them to you, and you've just gone with it because they've said them, and it's just there, and now it's real to us? How many things do we live with like that? How many things do, could our kids possibly grow up living with that people have said to them? What is it we're going to say over them? So I believe that this week, that what God wants for every single person at City Hill is to be prophesying into the lives of the people we meet. Now, the problem with prophecy is, if you've been in church for a long time or grown up in a Pentecostal background, is you will have heard me say something to you right now that I have not said. I have not said, walk up to someone and say, thus saith the Lord. I have not said, walk up to someone and say, I can see a river or a mountain. Like, I haven't said that. Like, and I haven't said, talk to people you meet this week in 16th century English. I haven't said any of those things. But for some reason in church, as soon as you say, God speaking in prophecy, all of a sudden, God, who's infinite and beyond our comprehension, is stuck in 16th century English. I don't know how this happens. I honestly don't know how it happens. It doesn't matter how modern a Pentecostal church you go to, God has says thus and thy. And I'm like, what the freaking heck? It's almost like you want to go out to them and you want to go, could someone buy them a new TV and aerial antenna? Because their connection to God is just so messed up. Or you want to walk up to them and just put one hand on their head and just smack it with the other one. Like, come on, come on. Hundreds of years have passed. Hundreds. We're not talking a decade. Hundreds of years. 16th century. Oh, dear God. 2016. Big, big gap. How are you not getting this in your head? (laughs) That's kind of how how I want to do it. It's just crazy. So what I'm telling you to do is I'm telling you to prophesy. One of the greatest prophecies I've seen uh, different pastors I've rolled with, hung out with, do. It's one of my favorite things ever. They say this. They do this. They walk up to someone. They've prayed about it. They want to hear what God's saying to them. This is the simplest one they do. Absolute simplest one. They walk up and they go this. I see this in you. I see this in you. And sometimes they say something they actually can see with their eyes in that person. Oh man, you're so welcoming. Oh, you're so joyful. Oh, people just love being around you. It's amazing. You've got to use that. That's fantastic. They do that at the lowest. That's the lowest common denominator. The next level up is they they hear what God's saying about that person. Oh, I see this calling upon your life. I see that God's going to do this and you're going to grow into this and it's going to change people's lives. It's going to rock their world. And they throw that bomb out there. And do you know what happens every time they do that? People walk away from them, leaving empowered. Like, yeah. It's the exact opposite of what that teacher did to me. It's speaking a life-giving word. And it's going like, God, what are you saying this week? There are people you and I get to meet this week who are vulnerable, who are hurting, who are down, and who are suffering. And we're going to walk straight up and go, oh, I see this in you. And it's so good. Oh, that's amazing. And we're going to do that with our family. We're going to do that with our partners. We're going to do that with our children. I see this in you. And at the base level, it'll be a good thing you've seen. The next level up, what you see God saying them to do, saying that he's going to do in their life. And that's not like as a weighted thing of like, God says you're going to be this. 
It's no, I see this in you. I see this in you. And speaking that in, that, that encouragement, that power. And so this week, I believe God wants us to use our words. Use our words, but to use them wisely. Um, and to maybe, we might need to apologize to someone this week. That's right. There might be someone we need to walk up to and go, you know what? Oh, I, I said something to you the other day, and I just want to say sorry. The reason being is I'm afraid that you might believe that. That is totally not how I see you. I do not see you that way. And then you go, I see you like this. So you don't just leave them with the sorry, you bring repentance. You bring them around to a new place. I'm sorry I said that. That's not how I see you. This is how I see you. I'm going to pray for us, and then that'll be it for this week. Father, you set an amazing example um, for your word, for your scriptures. Um, You spoke all things into being. Things got a bit twisted along the way. Lies were spoken and believed. And then you called us to stop, wait a minute, and to hear you. May we hear you, and may we make time in the morning in our commutes, in our daily activity, before we pour the cereal. May we hear you, and may we action out what we hear. Father, in the example you give us in Jesus, the word becoming flesh, we see how we are to live and how we are to be of our words. He used his words perfectly. We won't ever attain to that, but we can push towards that example. I thank you, though, regardless of how we use our words, your word will be final. In Revelation, you're going to reconcile all things to yourself, and we give you the glory. May you use us this week to speak powerful, life-changing words into people's lives. In Jesus' name, amen.